Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number six of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Phil Helmuth's Strange Son. And I'm joined here by my astute co-host, who goes by VWAP Trader on Twitter. If you're out on House Street, he's going to be known as the Silverback. This is Saskatchewan's prodigal son, JJ. JJ, how you doing? Good, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And today our guest, he is a New York Times bestselling author, a man who used to visit the White House on a regular basis and not the one where the president lives. (laughs) (laughs) In hip hop circles, he's known as Cleveland D. I'm talking about Turney Duff. Turney, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you. I think that might be... That might be the best intro I've ever gotten. Oh man, really? I'm 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 honored. I'm honored I was able to <laughs> deliver it. <laughs> so yeah, so attorney, thanks for for joining us. Um, and you know, just for the viewers, I'm I'm sure plenty of people are familiar with you, but for people who might not be familiar, you might just like give a brief rundown of you know your background and who you are. Sure. Uh, well, first off, thank you for for having me. And. Uh, you know, I mean, without giving my story away, you know, I, I worked on Wall Street for 15 years, which are arguably the 15 most dramatic years on, uh, you know, in, in the history of finance. Um, kind of entered the business not knowing anything and uh, left, you know, 15 years later. And since then, I've, uh, you know, wrote, wrote my first memoir, ghostwritten a couple of uh, other books, worked on uh, TV show Billions. I uh, was in front of the camera for a TV show at CNBC called The Filthy Rich Guide. Uh, I was uh, writing for them for three or four years. And, uh, yeah, I'm just now a single father, uh, you know, with a 13-year-old daughter and uh, making me as a writer. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. So uh, a little bit different from your days on on the street, and um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so so attorney, since, since uh, leaving Wall Street, I mean, do, do you still pay attention to the markets? Uh, do you retail trade at all? Um, you know, uh, not a ton. I, uh, you know, m- my money is with a, a financial uh, manager, and, and, and you know, we talk, you know, shop maybe three or four times a year. Uh, unless you know something's happening, um, but my my trades really from you know every everyday life. So like I'll just give you an example: um, zero fundamental analysis. Like my my daughter, I think she was eight at the time, um, begged me for a hundred and fifty dollar Fitbit like for a week, and then I was like, finally, I was like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll buy you the Fitbit. And so she, you know, she, she wore it for about three or four days and she took it off and like forgot about it. And like, we later, it was like, this, this is a huge short, you know? Okay. Okay. And uh, when you were on Wall Street, um, was there, you know, any like perceptions you guys had of like retail traders? Um, I don't even know if that's something you guys even thought about. No, I mean, we did, but it, you know, it was more like, you know, we kind of considered, you know, cause I was, I was more Stanley for five years and then, um, 
three three different hedge funds, and you know we kind of saw it as like we we were trading with ski masks on, you know, and like <laughs> we we were it's taking advantage of the retail flow, you right, know, right. and you know we we kind of felt like that retail investors uh, were you know early or late, but never on time. Right, right, exactly. Like, well, like they usually are, and uh, yeah, that, you know, that's something JJ's even really talked about um, a lot. Is just, um, yeah, I just think there's a perception of retail traders just not knowing what they're doing, getting abused by people on the other side, um, and, and that's just some. That's what we're really trying to bring awareness to people about, so they know like the odds, like they're really stacked up against. Right, but yeah, I, I, I guess this, this you sort of. Uh, I'm sorry, Tony. You broke up a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, you know, when, when when you see say retail investor, like two, two different you know things come into my head. It's like either the guy who is just doing it on his own, but he's 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 trading a book, right, a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, there's the guys that I knew who were at certain shops and they couldn't even really hold positions overnight, and it was just like. I, I don't even know what you're doing. Like you, you, you're trading, you're trading for pennies all day, and then at the end of every night, you got to be flat. Like I, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who, who are making money that way, but um, I think for my skill set, I would be more apt to, you know, trade even if it was a small amount of money. You know, trade like a portfolio rather than just trying to. Uh, you know, chop it up every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so so from from your point of view, I mean, did, did, would you have any advice for someone who is, you know, like myself, like JJ currently is, like our listeners who are trying to profitably trade um, in the market? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's a tough gig, right? And so, um, you know, one of the things that I did right was uh, – I, I really tried to kind of observe everyone and everything around me. And, and like, just to give you an example, like one of my, uh, at my hedge fund Argus, you know, I have this biotech analyst who she was great. She had great information and she would, her, her tolerance for pain was kind of, like my buy signal, so she'd come running out to my desk and be like, "We have to, we have to sell biogen. It's going down every day. We have to sell it. We have to sell it." And I'd be like, "Has anything changed fundamentally?" And she's like, "No, but it keeps going down. It keeps going down. We have to sell it." And she would end up walking away from my desk, and I would buy more because I knew trading with her that that like her her tolerance for pain was a buy signal, and so I was able to kind of observe the people around me and sort of what their tells are similar to poker and, and kind of sometimes craft race, but you know, very often, like I I was at a healthcare hedge fund for a number of years and sometimes trades or ideas would come across my desk that weren't healthcare and I couldn't, I couldn't trade them. Right. But I still wanted to leverage them. And so I would, try to make other people money or I would use good information as much as I could. Even if it wasn't a trade in the market, I was using it to either improve a relationship or start a new relationship uh, because, you know, we're, we're in a favor economy, right? And so the best way to get a favor is to, buy, to, to do someone a favor first. And so at the end of every day, 
whether you're, you know, retail guy or at a mutual fund or at a hedge fund, every day there's a quantitative number that you can look at and say, okay, uh, you know, was it a good day or was it a bad day? And it's pretty black and white, right? Mm-hmm. But the other thing that is just as important is a qualitative day. You know, did I improve relationships? Did did I learn something new? Or, you know, that is, and it isn't. Uh, and so that was something that I continually, you know, tried to, to, to focus on was the qualitative of, of versus just the quantitative. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, so I don't know if I'm getting off course. Yeah, no, no, I, I thought that was good. I thought it's a real uh, unique, um, you know, perspective and approach you took to it. Um, and uh, I'm asked one more question and now I'll kick it off to JJ. Um, so, so attorney, I, I remember you saying in your book that like one of your uh, strong suits to trading was that you were able to detach yourself from emotion, correct? Yes. Now, where did, where did, cause obviously for, you know, obvious reasons, that's very important uh, and obviously applicable for myself too in poker. Like, where did you learn this skill? You know, I mean, I, I, I wish there, I, I think some of it was just sort of innate and, and, but also I've kind of have suffered with, with depression and design you know, a little bit. So <laughs> I think that might've also helped me. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a trick that, um, worked brilliantly for me and I made. Did we lose them? Brown. Any of the hedge funds I was at, like on a Friday, lazy afternoon, right? And I would talk to all the analysts and just be bullshitting with our feet up. And and they were very bold on a Friday, you know, slow Friday in August, right? Mm-hmm. And they would say stuff and they'd be like, oh, you know, if Apple ever got to this level, I'd back up the truck, right? So I would go back to my desk and I would write that down on, on, a, on a little post-it. And so, like, I used to listen to people when I knew they weren't looking at the screens or wasn't scary or wasn't like super exciting. And, and if I believed what they said, I would write it down on a post-it note. Right. And I would just keep it there. And then, you know, let's fast forward, let's say three or four weeks and, and Apple's down, you know, $50 or whatever. I'd walk into that analyst's office and I said, Hey man, you said if Apple ever reached this level, you'd back up the truck. And he'd be like, well, yeah, um, you know, and I'm like, anything fundamentally changed. And he'd be like, no, but I mean, it, it keeps going down. And uh, I'm like, dude, I'm like, you said, and and I would have a battle with him. And then if you wouldn't agree to buy any, I'd be like, screw it. I'm buying it for myself. And so by, by talking to people when there's zero emotion and, and being able to identify like smart um, calls or like perceptions and, and then using that when it happens, um, you know, has always been a moneymaker because that analyst was right when he was casually talking on a Friday afternoon. But when he's looking at a down 50 and, and he's panicking, he doesn't want to buy a share. Right, right. Yeah, no, good stuff. Great stuff. Great advice. Um, so, yeah, I'll kick over to you, JJ. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Attorney, uh, great to he- you know hear your voice again. You and I met 20, <laughs> Thank you. 20 you years ago on uh, you know a very, uh, how shall I say, drunken night in New York <laughs> with a bunch of the boys from night. Uh, if any of you guys are listening, uh, miss you guys. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we definitely miss you. We definitely miss you, Night Capital. Um, and um, it, it was great, actually, because I went through, you know, I, I fed those guys order flow, but penny stock order flow from Canada for U.S. promoters. And uh, so... I went through the ups and downs, but completely different than you. Um, and when I read your book, it was like, oh, my God, somebody finally gets the emotions that I'm going through. Um, <laughs> you know, and, well, you know, it's it's just it's it's an amazing thing. You know, some days, you, you know, you look at your account and you've got, you know, six, seven sticks in there. But, you know, your wife doesn't love you. So everything just feels like this, you know. Everything it just feels empty, you know, and um, yeah. not many people identify with that. And when I read your book, it was right after I had had a heart attack and a quintuple bypass and died and came back to life and realized that, oh my God, you know, I better change things. Um, and it was really, really inspiring because you really laid your soul bare in the thing. And it just, the honesty of it and the, you know, the brutal honesty, because in our business, everybody, you know, sugarcoats things, makes it look like they're a hero when they're not. And you're one of the only guys who came out and said, hey, look, this is me. This is where I fell. And I really, really um, appreciate that. And I look up to you quite a bit for doing that. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting you say that. And, you know, partly when, when I set out to write the book, I said to myself, I'm like, all right, you, you, you got you, you got a wasp game. You know, you're, you're a white dude from Kennebunk, Maine, and you made millions of dollars, and you're a drug addict. Like, boo-hoo, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just said, you know what? At no point am I ever going to try to get the reader to like me. And the other thing I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to point fingers and be like, well, he did this, and he did that. Yeah. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to show my worst self and, you know, hope for the best. And uh, I'm, I'm glad it resonated with you. Oh, it, it totally did. I mean, I was, I was very much a part of, of that scene because I, all my market makers were in Jersey. So I was in New York all the time. And, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of nights out. I, I never got into the, uh, the drug scene because when I was a little kid, my uncle was a doctor and he told me when I was like nine years old or 10 years old, he said, if you ever do cocaine, your heart will explode. So every time I was offered it, even when I was a bouncer working in a club, I'd get offered it. You know, when I got on the street, I'd always be like, no, 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 that's okay. I was scared to death of this stuff. So, you know, I, uh, that, that was, you know, like a, a big difference for me. And also coming from working in nightclubs, I was always the guy that had to stay sober just in case anybody got into a fight. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but I was, you know, reading your book and what I do now is I try and help retail traders figure out the market and things like that. And a lot of them have no idea why the market even exists or the motivations that that are in the market and the agendas. And, um, you know, I always tell people, read Turney's book because everybody's talking about order flow. I'm like, well, this guy fed order flow to the market from one of the larger hedge funds, you know, and, um, and so people don't really understand a lot of what goes on, um, you know, behind the scenes. And I, you know, I got a couple of questions and, and to try and enlighten people a little bit, um, you know, like, for example, like a, a really simple thing is, you know, as a hedge fund trader, you don't really have a stop on a position, do you? Because, and you wouldn't tell the other side that you have a stop because they'd run your stop, right? <laughs> 
it, it depends. Um, sometimes I would would tell them I stopped and, and and be lying, and other times, like if if I if I trusted them, like you know, okay. I think very people enough rope to hang themselves because yeah. I had a uh, you know kind of old was like you know, I would get it. And so I'd rather find out if I'm going to get screwed by you early in the relationship. And um, um, I used to kind of like to tell uh, you. Uh, you we seem to have a problem. You're cutting out again. Oh no! Okay. You sound you sound you sound I'm better now. Out. Yeah, you sound good now, Tony. Yeah. Um, you want me to start over? on yeah, sure, because we kind of missed that whole thing, didn't we, Ray? Yeah, yeah, we didn't get any of it. Yeah, so if you could just... Do you want to lead with again? I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine, Tony. If you just, 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 uh, just say, uh, like, just start over from what you said uh, off the last question. Yeah, I, I was asking, can you just leave me in again so I can... Oh, sure, yeah, just, just about having stops and, and telling the other side your stops. Right. There's no blueprint, right? And so every single sales trader is different. Every single order is different. Um, but, you know, there were, there were plenty of times where giving my full picture actually helped me, especially if I trusted the guy. And I'll give you one example. Um, and it just doesn't necessarily relate to retail trading, but um, I, I had like a 2 million share order one day. Um, and I called up my sales trader at Merrill and I was like, Hey man, I'm like, uh, you know, I got 2 million bios in to buy. And he goes, I'll call you right back. And so he calls me back and he's like whispers into the phone. He's like, my, my boxing trader's out today. The guy backing him up sucks. He's like, go away. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, this guy just turned away. Cause I was paying him six cents. Just turned down like $120,000. And exactly. I was like, this is my guy. And yeah. so for the next five years, I lit him up. Right. And so exactly. he became one of my most trusted sales traders by turning away business. And so, um, it was really about me finding out who I could trust, but you know, I, I did play games all the time. I would, would, you know, fuck with the, or manipulate prices of stocks and just, and just rip it. Like if, if I knew there's a huge short interest, uh, just to see if I could scare some people. Um, so I was I was playing games very often, and you know fluctuating, you know prices just just to see what you know what I could do, and and I could do it relatively easy, right? Like you know if I have a let's say a million share position, and 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 I'm and I'm going out there to just play around with fifty thousand shares of an illiquid stock, I can get it to go, you know, a couple of bucks, oh, yeah. and. And, and then all of a sudden, my IM would light up and be like, you know, what's happening to Express Scripts? You know what's happening to Express Scripts? And, you know, it's like giggling on the other side, right? Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Good. It's, uh, I, see, there's another story. Sorry, just. Sure, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Please, I, please. I had I had uh, an affinity, maybe because for how they entertained me, but um, I was a big fan of Prudential. Okay. I went away. And. Um, you know, we kind of viewed, especially at hedge funds, we we viewed the market makers on the floor kind of as the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. And so, at any point, 
if I could ever like, you know, cause them some pain, I was, I was happy to do it. And so the Prue guy calls me up one day, the market maker, and he's like, man, he's like, um, you know, I'm, I forgot, I think he was like, I'm long, you know, 50,000 shares of XYZ and the market maker knows it. And he's, you know, he's totally, he's totally screwing me and he's not just bringing the price down. And so I just went in and, and I put like, you know, like maybe a half, half bid, of, um, 50 cents below the market. And I just, I, I put a bid in for like 500,000 shares on the machine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, <laughs> my buddy from Prudential was able to get out of the sock, you know, like so that shit happens all the time. Yeah, we used to do that in in our, in our smaller world. So yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty cool. It's it's good. It's it's really refreshing to have somebody talk about this stuff because the the retail side of it, I, and I'm and I'm learning, they really have no access to this type of information. Um, and uh, right. you know, like you know, because I'll be trying to explain to people, you know, uh, you know, when you work on a fund or you work on a desk, you don't just go in and buy a huge position. Like um, you know, I remember you talking about how you would, you know a massive position in thinly traded companies, um, you know, and, you know, maybe you want to like give a little glance into how you would do that. Uh, well, I mean, it really only benefited me one day of the year and that would be the last day of the year. Um, that's when it would really benefit me to do that. Um, mm -hmm. There were times when, you know, whether it was month end, it just like, you know, sort of window dressing or, um, you know, if, if I wanted to like cause some pain and, you know, maybe create a short squeeze, but, um, you know, when, when a stock is trading, let's say a couple of hundred thousand shares, um, a day, you know, typically we would say it trades by appointment. Right. And so, um, if, if I had a massive position that, that we've accumulated, let's say over months, um, you know, I could really wreak havoc with, you know, 50, 100,000 shares and, 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 and really make the stock go where I want to. But uh, what I talk about in the book is at a hedge fund, you get paid 20% of the profits um, and you also take a fee, but you get 20% of the profits. The only day of the year that you, you can collect on uh, unrealized gains is the last day of the year because that's when you do all of the accounting. So, you know, one year we, we were long, you know, maybe 2 million shares of CYBX and, you know, the stock barely traded. And so, uh, you know, and I mean, I did this with a bunch of different names, but, you know, in the last 10 minutes of the year, I wanted that stock as high as I could get it because, you know, if it was up $5 um, on those 2 million shares, you know, like that's, that's 10 million bucks that I'm going to get paid on. And so exactly. I would... I would wait until, you know, the last five minutes of the, of the market being open on the last day and just rip that stock as high as I could go. You know, if I ended up buying 150,000 shares, like who cares? I'm already long 2 million. So exactly. Um, exactly. it didn't really affect me. No, that's, that's very, it's, it's, I'm really happy um, that the viewer, the, the listeners will be able to, to understand this because yeah, a lot of the times, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll tweet something out. It's like, oh, it's month end or it's end of quarter. You know, they're going to, you know, they're going to mark up, you know, here comes Johnny Uptick. They're going to mark up everything up, you know, and right. uh, now people, people actually actually understand that, you know, this stuff is tied to your bonus because we're in a eat what you kill industry. So, right. uh, 
you know, that that's why these things happen. The, the, the downside, well, the thing that I was never able really to um, win at was, and, and, and uh, it's, um, so when, when options um, expire, right, and, and when they have all of the indexes open, you know, it's, it's, I think it's based on the, the opening price. And so, you know, if I was long like BTK calls or, you know, whatever, some index that wasn't super liquid, the whether it was Susquehanna or Goldman Sachs, they totally manipulated the opening price. And, you know, it would mess with uh, where where the index opened and, and I would get screwed. So that, that okay. happens too. Yeah. I understand. I understand. Do um, a lot of people um, watch billions, and um, you know, we know you consult for it. And having read your book um, and watched the show, uh, you know, there there are two definite instances where I see uh, your signature on it. And one was uh, when uh, Axelrod bailed out of the uh, the telecoms. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> I definitely consulted on that episode, but um, I, I believe you're talking about like the billion dollar flip. I think um, that might have been the name of the episode, but it was it was very similar to what happened when I was at Galleon, uh, and we got a heads up that Nortel was going to negatively pre-announce, and it was basically the, the beginning of the end for the tech market. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean it's. The, uh, the showrunners um, and the creators of the show, uh, like, you know, they're going into their business, but of a thousand percent done their homework and they, they've talked to everyone in the business and, you know, they, they, they really know their stuff. And so, you know, when, when, when it would get to me, it wasn't like I was a mastermind behind it at all. I was really kind of crossing T's and dotting I's you know, but there were definitely situations where, you know, they'd be like, we need an idea for this. And, you know, I'd, I'd give them you know, just my own experience, you know. <laughs> um, but are you, do, you, do you watch? So you have you seen every season? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. It's a fun show. It's a great show. Yeah. It's it's nice to see, you know, something about our industry. Um, you know, uh, it, it, yeah, it very was, rare. It was a bittersweet yeah. when I got the job offer because my book um, published on June of 2013, and the first day it published, I got a, um, a a TV deal from Sony, and you know I took it, and they waited about you know six or seven months, and, and they didn't really do anything with it, and then The Wolf of Wall Street came out that Christmas. Um, and then Billions was announced like shortly thereafter, and it was like I kind of got left in the dust in terms of timing because The Wolf of Wall Street kind of took my, uh, you know, my addiction um, excess angle, and Billions was, you know, at least in the first season, leaning into the insider trading and, and the stuff that I was dealing with the galley on, and so it was... When, when I got the job offer, I was like, of course, yes, but I wish it was my book. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, I'm, yeah, I, I completely agree because I'm actually writing about my experiences because all the guys in Wolf of Wall Street, when that place closed down, became stock promoters and a lot of them were my clients. 
So it's 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 funny how small a world it is. And yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, speaking were, of, were you a fan of the Wolf of Wall Street? I mean, I read the book. Um, um, I traded, uh, one of my good buddies was a market maker that shorted all of, uh, Jordan Belfort's deals. So, you know, we, we made some money in and out of his deals. Um, I liked the book. Uh, the movie was, the movie was, you know, it was good, but, um, I, I think, I think I liked the book because I identified with, with what Jordan was going through and, and especially going to Switzerland and, you know, there's a guy who does nothing but hide money and make companies, and that exists in the penny stock world. You know, um, there are guys, there are guys like that. You know, there was a guy. Um, you know, and I don't even know what his real name was. He'd call me up and he'd go, "JJ, look, you know, I got this company owned by this offshore trust, by this, by this," and he'd have it like eight, ten layers deep. You know, and and that's all he did was hide money for people. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's nuts. You know, because you guys were a very sort of white shoe okay. world. I was. I was on the I was on the completely different side in the in in the dark alleys of the bulletin board world. <laughs> and uh, Ray, I don't know if I, there's uh, I don't want to monopolize, but there's an, another couple of questions like um, the the whisper guy in your book, um, you know, who would call and say, "Now, people really don't know that that actually exists." Um, yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's not um, I, I talk about it in the book, uh, and I, I was uh, pretty new at the Galleon Group. You know, uh, for people who don't know, my former boss, Rod Rajarando, I uh, got sentenced to the, the largest sentencing in the history of Wall Street for insider trading, and I uh, got, got sentenced 11 years. But um, when I first got there, it was pretty much just like, make money. Right? Like that was my only <laughs> instruction. And one day a bunch of people were out of the office and uh, the, the phone rang and I, and I, so I picked it up. I'm like, Galleon. And the guy was like, is Raj there? I was like, no. I'm like, is Gary there? And I'm like, I could barely hear him. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, Jeff is going to upgrade Amazon in six minutes. Click. And I was like, wait, what? what? Like, who is it? And he was already gone. And I'm looking around, there's no one on the desk. And so I was, I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, uh, looking at Amazon stock and I was like, okay, I'm like, if I don't buy it, this guy, Mr. Whisper is going to, he's going to call up my bosses and, you know, looking for a high five or pat on the back if, if the stock goes up. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, but I'm like, if I do buy it, like, isn't that illegal? And I'm like, I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I was sitting there for a while. And, you know, the minutes were ticking by. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to buy 100,000 shares. Literally, at the six-minute mark, uh, my Jeffrey's light, you know, rings. And I pick it up. And, and the guy's like, hey, we're upgrading Amazon. I was like, I know. I didn't, I didn't say that to him. But yeah, you know, I hang up. And the stock, you know, this is back in like 2000 or something. So the stock, you know, was very volatile. But um, literally ripped six points in, 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 in like a minute. Uh, or five points in, in, in a minute and I made a half million dollars right and yeah. I'm sitting there and I was like if I got caught I'm like I'd be a great trader and, and <laughs> I just, you know that's kind of how I I first learned like that's how the game was played or at least that's how I thought the game was played and um, until all of the arrests and you know um, all the perp walks and, and, and everything it, 
it was like that. It was it was the Wild West, and you know it's, it's interesting. The 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 more um, you know the arrests that they've had, and the more uh, sort of press and, and, and legal scrutiny, uh, they've almost made it easier somehow in some ways to, to insider trade because I, I guess the rule is the, the tippee needs to be rewarded. And so, like, that's easy to, to set up where somebody just knows they're going to get a reward later. But sorry, I, I didn't, I don't want to go in the weeds on this, but, um, because most people don't know about this stuff. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was it's it, it, it's it, when you really go get you know deep into it, it's it's pretty hard to prove insider trading. So you know, I mean, some of it's very, but yeah, I, I sometimes would have a guy call me up and say, you know, because of a rebalance, I've got twenty seven million Indianex to buy on the close, right? <laughs> so it's like, okay, if you can't make money off that, you know, off that call, yeah. I, yeah. you know, I buy a million shares at 330 and, you know, at, at, at 350, the stock, you know, ended up going up like two points and, you know, I made my money. But, you know, there was a time where I could tell you what was going to be on the conference, um, you know, on Friday. Um, and, you know, I, I would have people who, let's say, knew what the results of an FDI, FDA trial were going to be. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it, it got to the point where it was pretty, pretty dicey, but we never felt like we were too keen, you know, dressed up as a janitor, stealing files from a law. <laughs> and I was never meeting people on the street corner and giving them bags of money. Um you know, it was like one level down from there. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it was it was just get information. That's that's the only thing that mattered. And you know, it, it cleaned up a little bit. You know, once Raj got arrested and other people started going down. But uh, you know, from from my friends who are still in the business, you know, it's still it's information is still freely passed around. Um, you know, to get an edge. Yeah. No, I can um, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, the street's been the same for, what, 300 years? I don't think it's going to change. Um, <laughs> right, you know, right. You know, I mean, it. a lot of people, you, you know, I get contacted by a lot of, like, retail traders. I, I went to the retail side now and um, and and trying to, to, to help people, you know, learn, okay, you know, there is a motivation behind what we do. And our, our, you know, our deal is to sell you stock that we got a lot cheaper at a much higher price for as long as we can, you know, and uh, you're our exit strategy, right? And um, so in that game, there are so many other sub games that are played and agendas between funds and, and things like that. And um, it's, it's really refreshing to have someone who, you know, will come out and, and tell people, hey, this is what's going on now. Now, I don't want to make it sound like everything's bad and a scam. There, there is a reason why the market exists, and it, you know, just for people out there, because a lot of people will message me and go, "Oh, it's all a scam," but there is a reason why it exists, and you know, that is to raise money for companies so they can expand their businesses, etc., and give investors an exit. Um, you know, but also remember, folks, that you know, in, in a game where there are hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, it will bring out you know, certain parts of the human, of human nature. So. Yes, totally. I mean, whenever, whenever an industry, an industry is 
solely predicated on making money, like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's going to be yeah. some bad apples. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I, the, you know, you guys, I dealt with guys. I mean, I was a bouncer and I met drug dealers that were actually um, nicer than some of the promoters that I worked with. Like guys who would make seven million bucks a week and then stiff the guy who's painting his fence like 500 bucks, you know. Right. Um, right. You know, just stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's a very different um, sort of game. And right. um, well, I think also part of what, what you're doing, and obviously you know infinitely more than I do, but. Um, it's also like knowing knowing the game, right? Like, d- don't don't try to play a, a game that you're getting on a field that um, I don't want to say not qualified for, but you know, like when I was sitting at a billion dollar hedge fund, I had expert networks. Like, I could call the you know the 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 the, the biggest doctors you know uh, in the country, and I had. Capital and I had unlimited one-on-ones from all the healthcare conferences. Like you, know, you, you can't, you can't win that game. So it's like figure out the game that you can win. So I'm not, I'm not saying you should, you shouldn't trade, but it's, it's know your strengths and and know your opportunities rather than trying to trade like someone who's at a billion dollar hedge fund. If, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense because I, I went from. You know, having inventories or, you know, having, you know, you could, if you had a bad trade, you could, you know, you could get one of your market makers to put it up for you because you give them so much order flow. Um, You know, when you're trading, you know, and then also when you're at a fund or on a trade desk, you're sitting next to some really smart people. But when you're retail trading at home, you know, in your office by yourself, it's just you and you at you and your demons. And, um, you know, and that that's one thing I found as a retail trader, um, and I trade in the day time frame, is that it really, uh, one thing is learning the market, but the other thing is learning yourself. Like all your demons come out, and uh, uh, that is something that uh, I was I was quite fascinated to see how that would, you know, how that came about in me. Um, yeah, no, that, that's great advice. And the other thing that I would say, like, um, I, I think one of the, most important things to be successful is, um, and this is going to sound so stupid coming out, but like know the market, right? Because like I had friends who are just like phenomenal at technical analysis, right? Mm-hmm. And so they they killed it in like 2006, 2007, and then all of a sudden they were out of business in like 2008, 2009, right? And the market is continually changing and then certain things work in certain markets and, and other things don't. And that's constantly changing. So don't get, you know, tied to, you know, one, one way to make money because that's eventually going to go away. And you know, looping it back to Jordan Belfort, like one of the things that annoys me is like, he'll talk about like, you know, my, you know, foolproof, you know, selling program is guaranteed. And it's like, you know what? No, no, because every single room that you're walking into a conference room is different. Right. So when I walk into a room, you know, sometimes I need to be funny. Other times I need to be serious, but it's, it's, it's different every time. And, and that's the same with the market. Like, don't come up with one plan on how to make money and think that 
it's going to continually to work. So knowing what market you're in is half of the battle. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Um, sure. That, I think that sheds a lot of light and, um, you know, on, on what we're trying to do here. And Ray, do you have, uh, I've been sort of monopolizing the conversation. And I apologize for that. Ray, uh, do you have any other questions for turning? I, I do. Yeah, sure. I do. No, I, that, that was great. That was a great conversation. I was enjoying just listening to it. Um, so attorney, bringing it back to billions for a second. Um, <clears throat> this question is kind of personal. Like for me, like, um, I'm assuming you met Brian, uh, Koppelman, the, the writer. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He, he, he wrote one of my favorite movies, rounders, a poker movie. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, we've talked about it a lot and, um, not to get too far off track, but I think one of the, one of the first questions I asked him was, uh, very often people like narration in movies for whatever reason. And then I asked him why they made that creative choice. And he just said, you know, when, when you're dealing with poker, you have to be in the mind of the character, right? You uh, can't, yeah. you can't get it out there. And so, you know, it, it worked, but yeah, that was, uh, him and his partner, Dave Levine, that was their first movie. Yeah, no, I think, you know, and just taking away like my poker bias aside, I think it's just a well done movie in general. Um, and uh, so speaking of like poker, like what have you had any experience with poker um, during your days on Wall Street? Because, um, you know, I've heard a lot of uh, stories of these guys and then obviously like being involved with the Mayfair Club, etc. Yeah, you know, I never I never got in too deep in, into the game. I mean, I definitely played here and there. Um so, uh, I definitely I had some friends who were you know played at some pretty pretty big tables, but um, I never really got into it. I actually would use it though in in an analogy, like whether I was in an interview or when I was trying to sell my book. You know, I would look around the table and I would say, "I guarantee you that I have the lowest SAT score of every single person in this room." But I also guarantee you that if we play poker every night for a week, I will take all of your money. <laughs> and they're just like, oh. And, and you know, I, I I said it more because, like, I know how to make money, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and just and poker you know, and the market are very similar in, in terms of risk management, right? Absolutely. Um, so, um, but, yeah, you know, people, there are a lot of poker players on the street. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of mentioned, and this is something like uh, that really like stood out to me, like in your book, right? So you're saying about how like, Hey, like I might have the lowest SAT score with like the story you just told, but I'll beat you guys all in poker. Like what, what struck out to me, like, as you like worked your way up, it's like your, your strategy of like moving up, like you used your social intelligence, like, which, you know, it resonated with me because like before I was a professional poker player, I did sales, but, you know, I was playing poker on the side until I could fully like sustain myself and like doing sales, like, you know, you had to have that, that adaptability, like you mentioned before dealing with different people, you know, and you even mentioned in your, in your book, like you didn't mind, like you knew these guys were taking you out, you know, and, but you didn't mind if they played the game the right way. <laughs> right. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and like, I always, I always, like, I always have a problem when I go out to stores now and like salespeople approach me, if they're doing a real good sales pitch, I have a hard time saying no to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It actually reminded me of that moment. Um, did you, have you guys seen Boiler Room? Yes. Um, Giovanni Ravisi, when he gets the call from the newspaper trying to sell him on a, you know, 
buying a subscription. And he, exactly. Like, um, he pants him, and and uh, he 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 basically gets. Oh, oh he cut out. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I I would be, you know, just like flabbergasted and sometimes like you know let's say we, we we would be in you know we'd be in the office and we'd be having a bad day we'd be like down you know six or seven million and i'd watch like one of my coworkers walk over to the boss and be like hey you know um can i have friday off and i'm just like oh my what God. are you an asshole i'm like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's like timing is just as important even not talking about stocks right like you know, what you ask, how you ask, like, is just as important. Um, and it's like, I, I was just kind of couldn't believe that some people didn't have that basic, you know, understanding of like, you know, hey, we're down $6 million. You, you might not want to ask for Friday off, right? <laughs> Maybe wait till tomorrow when we're up, you know. Um, but, you know, I tell people all the time, um, you know, if, if you're asking a favor, like when you ask and how you ask, is just as important as what you ask, and um, you know it's it's simple. And, and I've talked about it in a couple a couple of my, my my speeches, but you know there's there's something EQ versus IQ, and I don't know what my IQ is, but uh, I think my my EQ is 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 higher. And an EQ is something that you can you can improve, and it's just uh, emotional quotient. You know, it's it's the ability to walk into a room and and, and read it, or just sort of understand other people's emotions because if, if you see someone coming in hot like that's gonna that's gonna change how i diffuse the situation yeah. um and, and and some people just i guess they they don't have that gene but you know if, if people like google search eq it's, it's something that you can work on and improve yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a very like underrated skill. I think a lot of times people don't even like think that's a thing like social intelligence. Like what's that? But it's a highly important skill. And I, you came across as just like understanding it fully. And I, I guess it was something just kind of like innate to you, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Like I'll give you one you know, a little story. But so I got my first job at Morgan Stanley and about a month after I uh you know, was working there. I, I had this list. It was all handwritten, and I and I had met maybe I'm I'm gonna say like 25 people at 10 different firms um, of trying to get a, a job, and, and they all said no, right? And so I went into the conference room after work, and I called them all up, and and, and I'd be like, Hey, Mike, it's it's Turney, and you know, Mike would be at Lehman. And he's like, Hey, man. He's like, I'm so sorry. He's like. I still haven't heard anything. We don't have a job. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I just want to let you know. I, I got a job more Stanley. I'm in private client services. Uh, you know, I'm studying for my Series 7, but I just wanted to thank you, you know, for, for trying to help me and, and everything. And and of the 25 calls, I would say 15 of them were, were, were pretty warm. And I waited six, nine, 12 months. I called, you know, the, the people who were receptive and I updated them and let them know. And, and what happened was five years later, when I was uh, going over to the Galleon group, I had five relationships of people who were now heads of trading desks who were going to bat for me and, you know, like, 
basically do anything for me because they had a vested interest in my in my career. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't plot all of that out, right? But for whatever reason, as a twenty four year old, you know, it's part gratitude and, and part maybe humility, I knew that I should thank all of the people, you know, that, that tried to help me. And so it was the jobs that I didn't get that ended up catapulting my career five years later. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's incredible. I, I think like really anybody can use this skill in it. And I mean, helping in like any type of workplace really would. Um, right. Yeah. The thing that I would add to that though, which I think is, and I, I don't have like a formula or I can't tell you the exact science behind it, but helping people who are below you infinitely changed my career. And, and, the, and the thing was like, I didn't know who was going to, you know, their career was going to skyrocket and could turn around and help me someday. And, and I helped guys who, once I helped them, I never heard from them again, right? But I didn't try to predict it. Uh, but for whatever reason, when when you kind of try to help people who are either at your level or, you know, a step step behind you, um, it, it, it infinitely, you know, help my career. So mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of it also. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting observation. So, uh, so Tony, so discuss the process of writing a book and like the difficulty of doing that versus trading on wall street. Um, you know, it's, um, I, I mean, they're, they're entirely different, I guess, in some ways other than, um, you know, you just, you got to show up and, 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 do the work every single day, but um, I treated writing like, you know, I started writing when I got out of my second drug and alcohol rehab, and I wouldn't, wasn't planning on going back to Wall Street, and I kind of had to figure figure life out first, and so I, I, I first started, uh, I treated writing like going to the gym, and I just said, no matter what, I got to write for, you know, 30 minutes, five days a week. Um, and some days I would end up writing for two hours and other days right at the 30 minute mark, you know, I'd be done. But, um, you know, it, it, it is a different skill set. Um, I had to, I had to read a lot. I had to kind of learn the history, um, not the history, but, you know, I, I would read, you know, books about writing. I would read books that, you know, that interested to me. Um, and, and I just tried to educate myself as much as I could. And, and I found, I found mentors above me, eventually found people, uh, you know, who were just starting out and I was like a year or two ahead of them. Um, and I would, I would try to help them, but I, I, I got into that, I guess you would, you would say that sort of network and, and I met as many people who were doing what I wanted to do or were, you know, fringe, um, you know, whether they were publishing or they were an agent or, or whatever. Um, so there were very, there were similarities in, in how I attacked it. Um, but the actual just writing of the process is, you know, you, you can't do anything with a blank page, right? It, mm-hmm. But if you write a shitty first draft, that's when, that's when the work begins. So um, I call it a vomit draft and, and I didn't care if, uh, you know, it sounded wrong or like it didn't make sense or I just didn't stop until I finished and, and I would just vomit it all out. And that's when, that's when the real writing began. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. You, you had the, you had something to say, JJ? 
No, I just I'm I, I'm starting to write, and I've got a couple of hundred pages, and um, that's exactly what I'm doing. I haven't even read anything. I just because I've got, I guess it's therapy for me to just vomit out all this stuff for <laughs> my last twenty years. Right, right. But, well, you know what's interesting also is so I've written three books. Two of them are ghostwriting, but in all of the books that I've written, uh, my original chapter one. Um, has never ended up being chapter one. So like for the buy side, I think it's chapter 14 was originally my chapter one. Uh, but I didn't know until it was all on the page, kind of like how to put the, the puzzle together. So I, I, I think when you're doing the first draft, you don't worry about it. You just go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, attorney, your, your infamous, uh, 34th birthday party, I believe it was, yeah. No, naughty by nature. Uh, what what made you choose them? Um. Well, I mean that was so that was like my I think third or fourth old school hip hop party that I've done. The first one was October of two thousand one, and obviously September eleventh happened, and um. After that happened, I, you know, I kind of wasn't sure if we were. If we were even going to fill the party, and so I went to this guy Marcus, who owned the canal room, and I was like, you know, maybe we should do, maybe we should raise, raise some money. And I had a friend who was a rapper, his name's Jesse James, and I called him up, and I was like, can you help me? And he was like, yes, yeah, no problem. So um, I got Rob Bass, I got Dougie Fresh, uh, we got PM Dawn. Um, I'm trying to think it was Shannon uh, she sang a song I went to music play uh, there were a couple of other ones so first party and I ended up you know throwing a bunch more and so on my 34th birthday party uh, I, I went for Naughty by Nature and uh, it was it was a good night yeah yeah that's cool um, so uh, while we're on the, the hip hop subject uh, give, give me your uh, your top five artists <laughs> Um, that's, ooh, that's, that's, that's tough. Um, I mean, you know, I started listening to hip hop back in the late eighties. So, you know, I, I loved, uh, P public enemy. I loved NWA. Um, I, I loved BC boys. Um, I think, um, and I, I feel like this is a cop out because it's like, so, so, um, I guess expected, but you know, I, I, I love Biggie and I love Tupac. So, I mean, I feel like it's a boring answer, but um, you know, it's, it's the truth. Yeah. 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 No, both great. How about, um, Wu-Tang? You fan of Wu-Tang at all? Any of them? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, they didn't, I mean, yes, I, I, I like Wu-Tang, but you know, I, I, I would. I'm sorry. Turner, you still there? Yes. Oh, sorry. okay. So, yeah, we just lost you for a second. Yeah, you said you. Um, I'm sorry. What were we just talking? About? Oh, yeah, Wu Tang. So you're saying uh, you're saying you like them, but yeah, I mean Wu Tang, like you know, they, they were they were fine, you know. But I, I I didn't go nuts, but I gotta say, you know, and I'm 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 just as guilty, but I used to kind of laugh at, um, you know, I. I'd be at a hedge fund and, you know, whether I got tickets to M&M or, or whatever, and it would just be kind of, I, I, I just kind of felt like, I'm like, this is kind of like missing the point, but, you know, being at the, bo- you know, in, in a box seat with, you know, 
endless white people at, at an Eminem concert or not a concert. I was just like, something wrong with this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. You uh, you also made uh, when I, I think it was when you were at, at Galleon, you uh, you guys made a song, right? You you uh, you spit a verse. I did. When we, it uh, the fans, we want we want this tape to be released, Tony. When are we gonna get this? You can actually if you I released it on because we sampled um, Shirley Temple's uh, Good Ship Lollipop, right? Because mm-hmm. Galleon, we were called the Good Ship, and. So we wrote a song, or I wrote a song with Jesse James um, called The Good Ship Galleon, and we recorded it, um, and I, you know, I, I don't know what it was, like four or six bar, but I just said, hit me, bid me, I need liquidity. Stop me, I'm hot. <laughs> I'm a galleon where it all connects, healthcare and biotechs. Yeah. So, but the, the, the thing about that song was, so think in like uh, 2000 or whatever we made in 2000 and then I ended up going to rehab in October of 2009 and my former boss got arrested and I woke up and it was like front page cover of the New York Post and it's like you know hedge fund hip hop Cleveland D (laughs) Jesse I was like oh that's great that's great (laughs) that's funny oh man that is that's funny. I got um all right, I got like two more questions, Tony, and then we'll uh okay. we'll wrap this up. Um you said you were voted all conference in football in high school. I'm a huge football <laughs> fan. What uh what position did you play? I don't think you ever said that in the book. So um I was in high school I was a running back and um a cornerback and I was five eight, hundred and forty pounds. Uh, but I oh, wow. 40 and um i ended up going to prep school for a year at a place called new hampton um new hampton prep and uh i don't want to give away too much because it's it's the project i'm working on right now but um in my fifth game i uh, i was lined up against number 29 from kent's hill and he did like a little 10 yard like button hook and the ball was thrown. It was kind of overthrown. And he jumped up as high as he could, and and I ended up, you know, just laying the kid out. Um, and I turned around. And number twenty nine was in convulsions, and oh. uh, the next, you know, the, the medics came onto the field and put him onto a gurney and put him in the ambulance and it drove off. And the next play, eleven guys from their their team were literally trying to kill me, and. I was like lying there and like in the snow angel position and then you know, the ref pulled the whistle and I get up and next play, same thing, sweep my side, 11 guys trying to kill me. And so the coaches are like, Duff, Duff, get out. So I run off the sidelines and I'm standing there five feet away from me is my head coach. And I turn to my, take my helmet off and turn to my side. And my coach says, he's talking to an assistant coach and he says, he has a separated vertebrae, he's paralyzed. And so um, I finished the season, but then, that's when I decided not to play football anymore. Wow, wow, that that took a a, a serious turn. Well, so so you said you're you're working on a, like a project kind of like involving this story. It's it's a story because it's a, it's a thirty year story. I didn't I didn't get into any of it uh, during the buy side, and I've got a hundred page book proposal, but um, I'm actually considering going straight to whether it's a podcast or like an audiobook slash podcast. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to 
trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it right now. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I mean, we definitely be looking forward to uh, listening to that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, one more question, too. I, I was curious about this when I was reading the book, right? And, and I ho- hopefully I, I read it right. And like you said, you watched Sex in the City on a weekly basis. Um, I'm like, how was, tell me about that. What? Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's part. See, this is this is where you fail, right? Uh-huh. It's part of the social game, right? Okay. So when I was at the bar and I was talking a bunch of females, I knew what Carrie Bradshaw did last weekend, and you didn't. Oh god! And so I was much more interested to talk to. <laughs> Tony, you're next level, man. Tony, you are next level, man. That is definitely next that's level. inspirational. That's <laughs> you know, I guess I you know nowadays you could just read the blog real quick and pretend you knew it, but that's great. That's great. I, I think I'll end my questioning on that. Um, JJ, <laughs> you got you got anything else for our man? No, no, no questions. I just uh, just want to say it was a real pleasure having you uh, on the podcast, and uh, it, it really, really nice to talk to you. Your book, help, your book, helped me through a lot of dark times, and I really appreciate that. Thank and, you. Uh, thank let's you let's really, thank you for having me, too. You know, let's uh, let's not wait twenty years before we talk again. <laughs> Sounds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks again, Tony, for coming on with us. And then uh, if, if any, if people out there, you haven't read his book, uh, go get that. Um, I recommend it. And I'm not saying that just cause he's on this show. I mean, it, it's a great story from all angles, um, of like highs and lows. And, um, oh, well, yeah, we lost, we lost Tony on the phone anyway. Um, so yeah, go out there, buy his book, follow him on Twitter. Um, and also if you guys enjoy our podcast, me and JJ would greatly appreciate if you guys would, uh, rate and review on, uh, whatever platform, uh, you guys are listening to. Um, I got Tony back here on the phone. Um, yeah, I was just, no, it's all good. I I, I was just telling them, to um, go buy your book, follow you on Twitter. Um, any, any other information you want the fans to know where to reach you at, et cetera. Uh, I mean, I got a website, turningup.com, but. I'm not the best at updating it, but you know, you can find out more there. All right, cool, cool. All right, guys. And that will wrap it up. Um, for JJ and for myself, for attorney, thanks for listening. Um, have a good one, guys. Bye bye. Thank you. Have a great night.